Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 75 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is July 22nd. 2009 and today on the podcast we're going to answer your recruiting questions later on in the show and in the first segment we have several different topics that you have all emailed in we're going to talk with coach harvey hyde in the first segment all about that uh, some pac 10 stuff some positional stuff so some good stuff there if you have any questions or comments you can always drop us an email podcast at uscfootball.com we love to hear your questions comments and get them put them up on the podcast and uh, as we promised first segment we always have the coach harvey hyde Coach, how are you doing today, sir? Ryan, I'm doing great. I'll tell you, we're getting closer and closer to football season. I'm on the island of Catalina. We had a great vacation over there, my dog, Cece, and myself. So you'll probably hear in a moment say hi to everybody out there. And media, media week is going on all over the country. This week, the Mountain West Conference has uh, just had theirs. Media Day, uh, and also the Pac-10 is next week, the Southeastern Conference, the Big Ten, where everybody gets together and sort of as their first annual social event, and uh, coaches talk, and uh, then the media votes on uh, who they think is going to win whatever conference uh, media day they're at. Yeah, and that's actually one of the topics we're going to talk about today, Coach. We'll get to that in a little bit, all the different media days. We've brought this up in the past, but I wanted to thank our sponsor for the first segment of the show, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. So obviously for USC fans, that's a nice URL. People like that. 1-800-888-7287. If you just want to give them a call, you can do that. Any kind of tickets you need for concerts, sporting events, theater. If you need USC tickets coming up, San Jose State, first game of the year is coming up early September, Coach. So if anyone needs tickets, just go to sctickets.com and they'll take care of you. They really take care of you. In fact, I'm going to go by. I've been saying this uh, on the last couple of broadcasts. I'm going by to pick up tickets, and we're going to go to Vegas to the Jersey Boys. And where am I getting my tickets? Southern California Ticket Service. That's where you should get them. But, they, you know, it's not just sporting events. Uh, they can take care of your needs and any type of ticket that's out there. Yeah, I wanted to go see Spam a lot, so I still got to give Curtis a call about that. I thought that was supposed to be a pretty funny show. Uh, one thing you don't need SETickets.com for, There's a, we're going to have a little event, Coach, a week from today. Uh, July 29th is the date. It's in Torrance uh, at the National Sports Grill. Uh, that's on uh, Sepulveda Boulevard. Um, we're going to have a U- little USC dinner. We used to do some of these in the past, and we haven't done them for the last couple years or so. But uh, we'll have the whole USCfootball.com staff up there talking. We'll be answering questions, giving a little speech on what's going on with the team updates from what happened summer workouts and where everything stands in recruiting and we're also going to have a couple guests we'll have bruce feldman from espn he's the author of meat market he'll kind of give an update on the national scene in college football kind of where he sees the pac-10 and all of that and he can answer some national recruiting questions as well he was down at the elite 11 quarterback camp and then we have uh, yogi roth the former usc assistant uh quarterback coach and uh he's actually working for um, ESPN right now doing uh, quarterback analysis, and he was down all over the country at all the Elite 11 kind of feeder camps 
And then the, the final, actually the final day of the elite 11 quarterback camp in orange County is going on today. So he's down there at that kind of evaluating the quarterback. So we'll have him come, come and speak. We'll have uh, prizes. We'll give some t-shirts away and some little mini footballs. And we have a, an autographed football with some of the, the top USC players on there. We'll raffle all that stuff off and it's 20 bucks. Uh, if you want to come down and have dinner with us and, hear all the speakers and stuff and hopefully win some prizes. And if you uh, want any information, just j- drop me an email, Ryan at uscfootball.com. It's uh, 20 bucks at the door, but if you actually want to pay in advance, we'll give you a discount and it only costs 15 bucks. And uh, I know you have a prior commitment coach, but hopefully we'll get you out at one of these in the future. You know, I'd love to be there. I really would. I'd love to hear Yogi talk about the evaluations of the quarterbacks he's seen throughout the country, especially this top uh, camp they're having now in Orange County. I, I'd love to hear uh, his analysis of that, and I, I'd like to suggest to everybody that it's a great opportunity to get out and meet a lot of people and hear from people who know what's going on. And I really do want to attend one, and maybe in the future I'll come down and be with you on one. I just can't do it this time because next Wednesday night we're having an event at the Rose Bowl that I'm a part of a committee of as far as saluting someone and. I've got to be at that. But for everyone else out there, get on down and join join Ryan and staff and speakers and so on, and you'll have a great time. And, I, and I'll come down one, too, one night uh, here and uh, do do our do our broadcast right there if we have we, to. We can you know do it. Mean? Yeah, that'd be great. We'll do, have to do that one time, Coach. Um, all right. Well, let's. Uh, we got a lot to get, to get to, so let's get to the different topics that people have emailed in. The first topic, and the first two are actually kind of similar, but we'll, we'll talk about them individually. Uh, Jack wanted to know, he knew we, he knew, knows we've kind of, uh, uh, bagged on the PAC 10 media day, which is coming up next week. And it's really about a half a day of all the coaches and a few players and stuff come in and, and address the media. And he was reading that some of the smaller conferences are actually doing away with media day and, uh, the Sunbelt conference, they've actually switched to a web event. It's a two day media event and it's all like broadcast over the web. So you can, uh, you know, you can look at everything and do questions. You can call in questions and stuff, but people didn't have to be there in person. They would do everything over like video conference uh, on the web. And uh, he said, you know, he knows how we've talked about PAC 10 media day being lame, especially compared to the SCC. Do you think that budget restrictions and like this new video media day and the possible deletion of media guides, do you think the PAC 10 will follow suit and actually water down media day more? And I did a little research coach, the, the Sunbelt, did do a two-day media event. The Mountain West, they actually do two days in Vegas still in person. So they, they the Mountain West does more than the Pac-10 does. Um, and the SEC is still a three-day event. I believe they still even have a media golf tournament, but I could I tried to find that. And it, I heard some people talking about it, but I couldn't confirm that was actually going on. But there's other conferences that are still doing these kind of big events, Coach. And and, you know, and the Pac-10 right now, I mean, I, I don't know if I guess they could water it down a little bit more, but they're already only a half a day. I'm not sure what else they could do. No, you know, Ryan, I'm glad you asked me this question because they're not going to water it down. If, if anything, I believe they're going to improve on it. Uh, you know, you, I, this person who brought this question up obviously is a regular listener because he's been listening for over a year. It was a year ago when you and I talked about this. And... Uh, I don't want to say that I've met with the Pac-10, but I've discussed this with the Pac-10, and they are going to improve on the Pac-10 Media Day. It is going to become a bigger event. I can't talk about things right now as far as what's 
uh, the planning is and the forecast with the new conference commissioner and Larry Scott and so on. But I believe the there will be a lot of improvements on the Pac-10 Media Day. I, I don't know if it'll be a two-day event, but it'll be a complete whole one-day event, and it'll be really done well in a perfect setting, and there's a lot of potential to what they're thinking and what we've been talking about. So, uh, yeah, because uh, I agree with you, the current Pac-10 format does not compare with the conferences you mentioned, not even non-BS or BCS conferences, but I think it needs to be upgraded. They believe it needs to be upgraded, and I think this will happen, not this year. It will be improved this year a little bit, uh, but it will be really improved the following year. Coach, you can bring us the inside information. All right, I love it. That's great stuff. Uh, I guess, and thanks, Jack, for that question. Walter had kind of a follow-up to that. Uh, what should the Pac-10 do to get more national coverage? It seems like they don't market the teams very well. Should they sign with a TV network, uh, start their own network like the Big Ten does, start games earlier so that people on the East Coast can watch them? And his concern was that the Pac-10 doesn't get a lot of respect nationally because the, the East Coast voters aren't able to watch the games. Well, you know, uh, I think that uh, that's a correct statement. Uh, I don't believe the Pac-10 gets the necessary publicity that uh, it needs and deserves. And I think now with the new conference commissioner, if people look at his background, when the college presidents and the search committee went out and looked uh, for a conference commissioner, they got someone with a background in radio and television and uh, someone who had put together a tremendous tennis uh, program with the networks and really did a great job of understanding what it takes to promote uh, an event or a conference or a sport. And Larry Scott has this ability. He's a young man uh, with a great uh, a deal of experience in this, a very intelligent person. And I believe this is one of the criteria that were really a part of the search committee in finding someone who could help improve the image. Not that the image is not a great image, but to spread the word on the Pac-10 out there nationally. And I think this is something like we talked about, the media part of it, the media day, the television affiliates. I really think that there's got to be a change there. I'm not saying that they'll have a Pac-10 network, but I think there's got to be a contract put together with somebody who will give them additional exposure, like the Southeastern Conference has with ESPN, like the Big Ten has a Big Ten network, the Mountain West Conference has the Mountain Network, and the Pac-10 basically has not gotten the exposure that the other conferences have with their affiliates. Uh, and, and I really think that this is something that has to happen. I believe that the networks of all of the Pac-10 broadcast, radio broadcast, have to be sold nationally. I believe that rather than just having five or six or seven affiliates on USC's broadcasts or, or Cal or Oregon, uh, they've got to have 20 affiliates, not just in California, but nationally. They've got to be picked up their games on the national game of the week as far as radio games and so on. So they're heard throughout the country. And, and this is one thing that hasn't happened, and I think it's something that has to be looked at and and happened. Now, SC, I believe, now is on Sirius. Uh, their broadcasts are on Sirius, I believe. 
and this gives a chance for everybody to listen to them on satellite radio as far as wherever they might be in the country. If you're an SC or the, or the world, if you're a SC fan, or, or and I think that all the Pac-10 would, I think they should sign a contract with one of these satellite radio networks that all their games can be picked up. Because I think that's the, the way of marketing and exposure and letting everyone out there understand Pac-10 athletics, both academically and athletically. And I think they, and I hate to admit this because I'm a West Coast guy, but I really believe the Pac-10 is behind in that effort. And I believe the hiring of Larry Scott now as the conference commissioner, I'm not saying that Tom Anson didn't do a good job. I'm just saying you've got a guy now hired who has experience in this and will be able to do that. All right, Coach. Uh, thank you, Walter, for that question. And, yeah, the, I'm obviously the bowl, the alignments with good bowl games. It's tough, but, I mean, they need to get do something in that uh, area as well. Uh, Terrian, one of your favorite uh, question people, <laughs> Coach Hyde, he, he always has these uh, football 101 technical questions. He's got another one this week. Uh, what are the different skill sets required for the nose tackle versus defensive tackle? And, uh, you know, to follow up with that, he wanted to know, is the, are the positions assigned to like a strong side or weak side, like similar to what you see with defensive ends uh, or linebackers? Well, yeah, it can be. And, and you see uh, not only in college football, but even in the NFL, <clears throat> excuse me, you see uh, uh, them flip their guards uh, defensive tackles or your guards, you call them inside, uh, that play on the uh, offensive guard. You see them flipping them to play to the strong side, or or they don't flip them. They just play them regularly, depending on what the philosophy of the defensive coordinator is, or the defensive line coach. Uh, when you flip your defensive tackles, what you're doing is is not your teach. They have to learn half as much as they would have to if they don't flip them. And what I mean is a strong side and a weak side. They have to learn strong side techniques, and they have to learn weak side techniques as far as blocking schemes, things to look for, uh, pass rush techniques, uh, coverages sometimes when they drop a guy back or soft rush or watch for draws, and so on. So both, if you don't flop them, they're the guys that give you the power rush, the push. They're the guys that are your big guys. Normally they're 6'1", 6'2", sometimes 5'11", 300 pounds, that hold their ground. They cannot be driven back off the line of scrimmage, and they've got to take their gaps so the linebackers can pursue down the line of scrimmage. If these guys are knocked back, then that cuts off all the pursuit angles of your linebackers and all the pursuit as far as checking their gaps. So these guys are your power guys. They're the guys that hold that, that hold the front, do the power bull rush, play the gaps and allow the linebackers to get to their gaps, power rush up, drive the elbow under, take a gap and go, and then flatten out to the football. So these are your probably the two strongest guys on your football team physically that play defensive tackle. Now, they may not be, but you might have someone else on the team that's stronger. But if you want two strong guys that hold world records in the squad and the bench press and so on, 
these are the guys you want there. Somebody that physically, physically holds their ground and pounds the guards and allows everyone else to pursue to the football. Not that they don't have to pursue. If they can get through the gaps when they take a gap, work their way up the field, and what that does does, does is stop all the scheme blocking and messes up the, the reads and you've gained penetration. You always hear me use the term play on their side of the line of scrimmage. These are the guys that if they get on their side of the line of scrimmage, screw up everything. Okay, Coach, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Terry, and thanks for that. I'm sure he'll have another good football one-on-one question coming in next week. Um, there's a kind of a longer question, Coach, and we'll, I'll, I'll kind of go through parts of it. This is from Adam. Uh, he loves the show, and he listens uh, from St. Louis. And he, feel, he thinks that USC fans feel that Corp, Aaron Corp, the quarterback, is kind of the safer choice. He was the one that won the uh, quarterback job out of the spring and would play a little bit more conservatively, take a few less risks and, uh, you know, check down some sometimes. And, uh, you know, that would result in less turnovers like everyone saw in spring practice. But he's worried that that wouldn't maximize the full explosive ability of the offense. And then Matt Barkley, on the other hand, seems to play a little bit more aggressively. He likes to stretch the field, taking more risks with his throws uh, and stuff like that. But with all the weapons USC has on offense, and you know, there's a ton of receivers, there's a ton of running backs, do you think it's better to have a conservative QB to utilize those weapons or have a more aggressive QB that's going to take more risks? And uh, you know, the, the, there's obviously some risk and reward there. What are your kind of overall thoughts on that, Coach? Well, well, there's nobody that's going to say that Aaron Corp isn't going to take any risk. And, uh, you know, and, and what I think Aaron Corp brings to USC's offense is a dimension it hasn't had. And that means running ability. I mean, someone who can get out of the pocket, someone who can run for the first down, someone that causes a lot of problems for the defense. And I think also his experience of being there another year and playing behind Sanchez has really given him a uh, an extra experience as far as being on the road, playing in hostile environments and so on. And believe me, the Trojans this year are going to play. If you look at the preseason uh, publications, Oregon is the most hostile place to play in the Pac-10. Ohio State's the most hostile place to play in the Big Ten. And SC's going to both of them. So you need to have someone who's been in a noise situation that's seen it as a backup. He's been to a lot of places. He's been in the Rose Bowl game. He knows what it's all about. And and I'm saying Barkley's a great prospect, but sometimes you gotta you gotta wait. You know, you gotta wait till it's your turn. Now, if Aaron doesn't do a great job and they're not moving the football and it's not happening, then I think Mark deserves that opportunity. But I think Aaron is a very capable. Remember, this kid's an All-State player. This kid was better than Clawson was as far as voting, as far as the Gatorade Player of the Year. He wasn't the Gatorade Player of the Year, but I think he was the ESPN Player of the Year in Southern California. This kid can play. This kid can play. He played in high school. I loved him in high school. And if they had any option to the, 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 the offense at USC at all, out of the gun, I tell you, I think he'll be tremendous. So I think SC's in good shape quarterback-wise. You remember we had the same situation with Castle and, and uh, Palmer. Wasn't it Castle and Palmer? Castle, Castle and Liner. Yeah, yeah Cass- Matt Castle and uh, Matt Liner both were. Yeah, yeah, the same thing, and look what's happened. So, you know, you, they're very talented. 
Barkley certainly has made an impression. Uh, I, I, I made the statement, and you've heard me say, I think he'll be the best quarterback in USC's history in the current type of offense that's going on. But I think through the spring, Aaron Corp has proven that right now he is number one. And I think that until someone proves he isn't, then I think he deserves that type of positive believe, believing in him uh, to get it done. Coach, and I, I think you bring up, bring up a really good point with Aaron Corp's mobility. I, I, that's something that Pete Carroll just seems to, I don't know, whenever he mentions it, it just seems to like, like his face kind of glows. I think he really enjoys the fact that they can take off on a third and six, and if nothing's open, Corp can almost easily get that first down. Uh, and if you went with the super conservative choice, I mean, I think you'd have to go with a guy like Mitch Mustaine just because the you know he started eight games in the SEC. You know, I mean, he has a lot of experience, especially with the tough road games that you talked about coming up. I mean, I think if that was the case, if they were just going for the most conservative choice, they would have picked Mustaine no matter how they performed and stuff. Um, you know, we'll see. And I, you know, Mustaine still got his you know his his toe's still in the ring there a little bit. I think he's going to keep fighting and try to you know win that job. We'll have to see you know how everything goes down in the fall. But, you know, right now, Aaron, it's kind of Aaron Corpse to lose. And, you know, Barkley will be coming on strong. I'm sure Mitch Mustaine is going to make a push. But the coaches do love the fact that, you know, he is so mobile that I think he can make some plays with his legs that USC hasn't been able to do in the past. Well, let me just, let me just tell you. If you're a defensive coordinator and Pete Carroll knows defense and coaches defense as well as offense, who would you rather go against? A quarterback that you know where he is? And you know he's not going to be, have the threat of running, or a quarterback like Terrell Pryor, or Juice Williams, I think his name is at at, at, at Illinois, or the guys that have been at Oregon. Uh, tell me who would you, or the guy now what is it, Jeremiah, at Oregon State, or at, at uh, he's at Oregon, right? Yeah. I mean, look at these guys. What the stress they, what, what look what they put on the defense as far as their running ability. I mean, so. If Corp can bring that to SC's offense along with the other great skill positions, it's a whole different ball game. When you know where a guy's going to be, you can get yourself in a three-point stance on defense, and you and it's a passing down. You just go for it because you know you're going to run him down. You're going to cover the pass. If he starts to run forward, you close on him and knock him out. But when a guy's got the ability to run, it's a whole different picture. I'll tell you what. You're scared every time you see the pass because if the pass isn't there, this guy can take off. And Corp, I think, is the kind of quarterback that Carroll likes. I think he would, you know, if, if Carson Palmer could could run like the wind, I think he would love that, you know. But obviously, Pete Carroll wants to have a guy that can be a drop back passer. But to him, I think, and you know, just from talking to him, it seems like the ultimate weapon to him is he wants a quarterback that is a drop back passer first. But if they have that option to run. That, that's what he really seems to like because you have to respect the guy's arm. Then it makes it a lot tougher to kind of you know cover it. You, it. you really can't put a spy on him and make sure he doesn't take off running. Where if you have a quarterback that isn't the greatest passer in the world, you can kind of almost lean and stop the run and make him beat you with his arm. But it, you know, obviously Carroll likes the fact that Corp can beat you with both. You're exactly right. You said it all right there. All right. Well, that's, uh, that was Adam. Thank you very much for that question. And uh, the last topic we have for today on the podcast, Coach, don't be sad. There'll be more next week. Again, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. These are all uh, emailed in questions, written questions. But if you have any audio questions, you can send those in as well. 
record them. People can record on their phones. You can record on your computer. Send in your question. Send it what it is. Just email it to me at podcast at uscfootball.com. We'll play your actual audio on the air and answer your questions. Uh, we haven't had that in a couple of weeks, so that'd be good to get one of those. But anyway, um, how can someone who watches USC football appreciate the abilities of Christopher O'Dowd? And this was in, in reference to David referring to that some publications have come out and said O'Dowd could be the best center in the country. And it's a hard position to watch, Coach. I mean, the center, you, he touches the ball every time, but you're not really seeing kind of what's going on in the middle of the line. And he, David felt he had no idea that O'Dowd was that good. And how would a layperson recognize an exceptional center? And what, what does he do differently than some of the other, other, other centers in the country? Well, I tell you, that's a, a tough question, but you have to watch watch every play to recognize what a center does, uh, and you have to watch, and you don't do that. The guy snaps the ball immediately. What do people go to? They watch the quarterback, uh, the ball, the skill players, and so on, and you never do watch the offensive lineman that much. The only time an offensive lineman gets recognized is when he has a holding penalty, okay, or the guy gets sacked and you know who, who didn't block his guy. So uh, you have to appreciate that the center's in the middle of the line of scrimmage where you have five offensive linemen, and he normally is your quarterback of your offensive line. He is the one that makes the calls. A lot of times you see centers come out. They don't put their hand on the ball. They point with their right hand or their left side what the strong side is or the strong safety is, so the offensive line recognizes that. Uh, he communicates with the, the calls, the blocking schemes that they need to check off or change their blocking screens. Sometimes they come out and they, they, they recognize the defense, depending what you want the center to, to call to your line. Odd, even, strong right, strong left, whatever. And then he, at the same time, you know, this guy's got to remember all the snap counts uh, as far as listening to the audibles after recognizing all the defenses and making the necessary calls. And then also this guy's got to reach down, put his head on the ball, and blind snap, as you call it. He looks between his legs, looks back, blind snaps the ball back to a quarterback seven yards deep normally in the, in the shotgun or wildcat formation or whatever you want to call it. And you notice they're blind snapping. It isn't like they're looking or keeping their head down and making sure the ball gets there. They're blind, blind snapping the ball back to – the quarterback, and then he has to take his lead step or take his drop step or whatever his technique is and be able to uh, do his assignment. Now, uh, uh, I have to agree that on an open center, it's a lot easier for a center because he's, he's checking off, blocking a linebacker, blocking backside guard, or doing, doing their scheme blocking as far as area blocking towards the side of the play when there's an open center. It's very difficult for a center when there's a guy in the gap, look for a gap guy or a guy coming to the gap, because if that center is responsible to the gap of the side that the guy's coming to the gap and you're doing a scheme block area block, he's got a full run at you because the guard playing to your right or the way you're going has stepped to pick up the next gap. His responsible is the next gap or whoever comes to that area, linebacker or end or whoever. So he's got to be able to stop the penetration of a offense or defensive tackle coming down the line of scrimmage into the gap, square up, 
and run along the line of scrimmage with him with your wide base so that if there's a cutback play or anything that's coming back that way, that he maintains contact. So it's a very difficult thing to do. You snap the ball, you got to get out of there, you can't, uh, you can't step back on your foot, or you step on the quarterback, and then he falls down. So that's difficult. And also, when you face a team that's an odd team, they put a guy right on your nose. Now you got to snap the ball and block somebody who's lined up, and 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 you know he eats garlic the night before the game, so you can't stand breathing when he's breathing on you. And and you know and he's not going to just hit you straight. Sometimes he's going to hit, play off. He's going to take a gap one way or the other. So now you have to snap the ball and play this guy and and to the play gap either side hard rush you. So you've got a lot of techniques to do, in, including the mental part of the game uh, and snapping the football, which I talked about as far as snapping it and all of those things above. So you've got to watch all that. And that's when you recognize when you have a great center is the guy that can do all of that type of stuff. And it's not easy to do all of that. No, and coaching, obviously it's a, it's a hard position to watch. And a couple of things, I guess I'll, I'll share with David as well. I mean, uh, you know, you being a former coach, obviously that gives you a big advantage knowing football as well. But, you know, all the rest of us that are in the media, uh, I mean, we get to watch practice. So we can see them actually go in one-on-one situations and you can kind of get a better feel for at least some of the blocking techniques and stuff where it gives you a little bit more insight as opposed to only watching uh, the plays. And, and I, one of the best things, coaches, is talking to the coaches. You know, I'll ask Pat Rule, Who's the best guys you got? You know, so I might not be able to tell the difference between is Butch Lewis better than Tyron Smith? You know, when you watch it a game, but you can talk to Coach Rule or whoever the position coach is if you want to get more information there. And they're usually pretty candid about sharing like what strengths guys have, and then it kind of helps you watch the game to go, oh yeah, okay, he pointed it out. Look at him doing that. And I, one of the things when I talked to Coach Rule a couple of years ago when O'Dowd first came in, and he was really impressed with the uh, communication skills that he had, and. I mean, that's obviously something that's really hard to see. But, you know, Coach Rule is like, you know, he came in as a true freshman and had the hand signals down and was communicating really well with the line, kept the line together. And that was kind of one of the, uh, you know, one of the strong points of at least of Christopher O'Dowd uh, back when he first came in. He picked up the offense really well and was good at communicating everything. And I guess the last point, maybe you can want to comment on this, Coach, is try to, if you TiVo the game or, or record a game, try to watch the game without following the ball. And sometimes it's hard with the camera angles that you use on TV because they do follow the ball really closely all the time. But if you can watch plays and don't see the ball, just don't watch where the ball is, kind of watch different positions. And uh, Kevin Ellison, you know, the former USC safety down with the Chargers, kind of told me this. I was down on the the field coach filming uh, for uscfootball.com. We can do field-level action shot, you know, action video, and we can put together little highlight packages for the website. So we've been doing that uh, the last couple of years. And uh, one of the problems I had is it's hard to see play action when there's all these linemen in the way, depending on where you're filming stuff from. So I talked to some of the players to see, hey, what do you, what gives you some keys on when players run play action? And, and is it going to be a run or is it going to be a pass? Because sometimes if I follow the running back and, and the quarterback had the ball, then you kind of miss the shot. And Kevin didn't want to share all of his secrets but, you know, he's one of the things you want to watch for, and this is a good way, just watch the linemen 
usually if the linemen are jumping off the ball and going, you know, trying to penetrate the defensive side of the ball, that's not a pass play. That's a run play. And if they're kind of backing off and being a little more passive, trying to keep the defensive linemen out, that's usually a pass play because they're doing pass protection. So he said, don't watch what's going on with the ball. Watch where the linemen do, and that'll usually give you a good clue of what the play is going to be. So I don't know if you want to comment on that, Coach, but I thought that was pretty good advice. No, it is, and uh, that's a good key for, for the strong safety and safeties, but that's where the draw play becomes a good play, too. And that's a play I felt that I've always felt that USC hasn't utilized. It takes a lot of practice and so on, but you have play action pass off the draw, and you have draw, you show pass, and, uh, and then you run the ball. And it does help you as far as with your pass blocking, and it helps you with your pass coverage. Because now you're running the football, but you're showing a pass block technique. So, yes, you do a lot of reading on the offensive lineman. You also do a lot of reading whether they're in a two-point stance or a three-point stance. And, uh, and, and when, they have, when they're back off the line of scrimmage, if you ever notice uh, the tackles try to get back off the line of scrimmage as far as they can so they can block that defensive end. Because he's on the outside shade, he's kind of up the field so fast. If he doesn't get back off the line of scrimmage, he can't get back in the position. So there's a lot of keys you look at. You look at the stance. You look at the two-point versus three-point. You look at if they're off the line of scrimmage or on the line of scrimmage. You watch them on their first step uh, as far as if it's pass or run. Because if it's pass and you're a defensive tackle, you got to get back and get in position. So, you know, and the same thing with a center. He has to do the same thing, too. So you do do a lot of reading. And that's why it's very important that you do do draw play occasionally, but you use those same techniques you would use in a passing situation. You get off the line of scrimmage. You do all of that stuff. So they really believe it's going to be a pass, and you want to draw. So, uh, uh, yes, so I think that's true what you said about reading the line. All right. Well, David, thank you for that question. And, uh, Coach, thanks for answering all those. Hopefully – that was helpful. Again, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address if you want to send us any questions in for next week's podcast. And, uh, yeah, Coach, thank you very much for joining us. We had a really extended session, but thanks for staying a little bit longer with us. Ryan, buddy, thank you very much. Coming off vacation, and, uh, of course, my dog didn't have a chance to add much to it today. <laughs> she was very good. Cece, my, my little baby here, uh, is getting ready for football season, too. You know, she doesn't miss much football, either. She sits next to me and watches all these games. So she's listening, too, to make sure she's uh, ready to contribute. You know? uh, awesome. Well, tell Cece, everyone on Paracel Podcast Land says hello, and uh, thanks okay. again for joining us. We'll be back after this real short break. We're going to answer some of your recruiting questions, so stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Parastyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, and we're going to talk a lot about USC recruiting in this segment. Uh, normally, we have 
We've had several recruiting guys on, but usually it's Gerard Martinez, the USCfootball.com recruiting analyst, or sometimes we have Zach Lajato. We've had Brian Bonifee on here. Uh, I'm going to run solo again like we did last week. I'll try to answer all of your questions, hopefully up to the standards that uh, the high standards that Gerard Martinez has set. But he's trying to take a little vacation. He worked really hard this summer. So we're giving him a little bit of time off. And uh, obviously fall camp is going to be real busy. Recruiting kind of heats up again when uh, high schools get back in action. And the Friday night lights starts, stuff starts going on. So we'll give Gerard a little bit of a break. And uh, hopefully you can answer your questions here. Again, if you have questions, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. And uh, if you're not familiar with recruiting, I mean, I can just give you a little overview. I, I started off, you know, when I went to USC, I mean, you follow the team and uh, you, 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 you know, obviously you see the games and you can even go to practices if you want, stuff like that. Maybe you go to spring ball, you could go to some a little of the fall camp stuff, out of season things where they're practicing and getting ready for the season. But then on the other side is the recruiting part. And where do these, these talented kids come from? Where was Taylor Mays? Uh, you know, he was a high school kid up in Seattle that was a recruit. And, you know, USC fans would go on uscfootball.com and follow him and see if he was a three-star, a four-star, a five-star. And, you know, which his fa- what were her favorite schools? You know, did he like the Washington because he's from Seattle or Washington State or UCLA or USC or Texas or anybody? And then, you know, he would have a list of favorites. We'd do interviews with him. Other sites on Rivals.com would do interviews with him. You kind of follow his recruitment. And as he got scholarship offers and the offers piled up and he got a lot of them, you would, you know, we would report that on the different schools. You know, he was offered by Notre Dame or he was offered by Florida State, whatever. Uh, you kind of go through that whole process. He'd narrow down his list. He'd take official visits. And then obviously he would make an announcement and then sign on signing day. So it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun kind of following where these kids go through. And Rivals.com does a great job of keeping up nationally on recruits and where they go. And so there's a huge database of all the kids, there's kids from the class of 2010, which is the will be February of 2010 when they can sign. Uh, you know, 2011, which are the the sophomores to be juniors, and 2012, which are the freshmen to be sophomores. We even uh, had some stuff on uscfootball.com this week. A 2013 kid that means that he's in eighth grade right now, and he's the six foot tall quarterback. Uh, uh, Troy Williams out of Narbonne High School, same place that uh, Byron Moore went to. We put some footage up on him this week. Normally, we don't go after the eighth graders, but if there's a, you know, we, we, we try to follow the kids, especially the local kids, which ones are the top prospects, and you can kind of follow, along, follow them along through their career. We'll put up photos, videos, interviews, all kinds of stuff. And a lot of the fans really enjoy getting into following their high school careers and then find out where they end up going to college and, of course, following following there especially if they went to usc but a lot of the a lot of fans really just enjoy certain recruits and even if they go to a rival like a notre dame or a ucla uh, a lot of the usc fans will follow them there in their career too and even maybe root for them a little bit when they're not playing the trojans and so it, it's fun I, I advise you to check it out there's a lot of information on recruiting at uscfootball.com and as you can see by the questions we get a lot of questions all the time because there's so much going on it is kind of like a soap opera uh, so anyway, let's get to the first question. This one's from Mark. And hopefully we answer this to the best of, of what he was expecting here. But he wanted to know, uh, he would like us to review the past recruiting classes, the past few recruiting classes, and rank them for eligibility and performance. And the top 10 would be nice. I wasn't sure if he meant the top 10 players uh, or what here. But I, I, I wanted at least, it gave me an idea to go through the past few recruiting classes, just kind of talk about, you know, how many kids were signed, who's still on the team, 
uh, who ended up starting, stuff like that. We can you kind of evaluate yourself. Uh, Mark, if there's something else you wanted, I'm not sure what you meant by the top 10, but just drop us an email again, and we can kind of go through that a little bit more. Maybe I'll have Gerard on. We could talk about that. Uh, but if you look at the class of 2008, uh, there was 19 kids signed from that class. Three of them are no longer on the team. This is the, the last year's class, the uh, uh, February 2008. Uh, Mari Simmons, he ended up uh, you know, having that robbery charge and wasn't able to come to USC. Daniel Campbell didn't make it in with grades. And uh, he ended up uh, at a, a prep school. And then Matt Meyer, uh, he ended up getting a foot injury. He was injured, so he was, his career is done. He's still going to USC. But and we talked about him on a couple weeks ago, I think, on the podcast. Um, so those three players from the 19 are no longer on the team. Um, and three of those three guys from that group of 19 are actually starting, even though it was only you know last year's class. Tyron Smith, uh, he's going to be left guard, Armand Armstead and Jarrell Casey, both uh, defensive linemen. So there's guys that have, you know, with three potential starters or starters and three guys are out from that class. And obviously the longer a class is around, the easier it will be to evaluate them. So it's harder to evaluate, you know, the, the more, most recent class, obviously the class of 2009 just arrived on campus last month. And so there's not really much we can do there. I mean, we can look at guys in summer workouts, but no game performance or things like that. So that's the most recent class that has, has played at USC. 2007, they signed 18 players. Only two of them are no longer on the team. That's Broderick Green, who transferred to Arkansas, and Trey Henderson, who had a career-ending injury. Um, he was a defensive lineman out of Canada, if you don't remember him. Uh, but eight of those guys from the class of 2007 are starters or potential starters. Uh, Aaron Corp, Chris Gallippo. Everson Griffin, Ronald Johnson, Joe McKnight, Chris O'Dowd, Malcolm Smith, and Christian Tupo. So that's a pretty good bang for your buck out of those 18 guys just from a couple years ago. Eight of them are, you know, you would consider starters, and only two of them are no longer on the team. And you can see by these numbers, Pete Carroll really has signed a lot of uh, lean and efficient classes, and I think that's what he's going for now more than ever. I mean, he's only getting 18, 19, 20 guys most years, not... 25 or more like people a lot of other uh classes try to sign now in 2006 this might be the reason why he's changed up a little bit there was 26 guys signed uh in class of 2006 nine of them are no longer on the team so that's a, a pretty high percentage way off from what you see in the past couple years and even the year before that so this was the high I, i'd call this class as kind of like a high risk high reward class and uh there's a lot of starters but there was also Nine guys out. The guys no longer no longer on the team. Kenny Ashley, Walker Ashley, Vidal Hazelton, Jameer Holland, Vincent Joseph, Emmanuel Moody, Antoine Perez, Alfred Rowe, and Josh Tate. I mean, we talked a lot. We talked a little bit about some of these guys uh, a couple weeks ago when there was a question about where have they gone uh, on the podcast. But those guys are no longer on the team. But eleven former or you know current potential starters uh, from that group of twenty six. Uh, David Beeler who's moved on to the uh, Dallas Cowboys now, C.J. Gable, Stanley Lavilli, uh, Zach Heberer, Stephon Johnson, Butch Lewis, Taylor Mays, Anthony McCoy, Michael Morgan, Alex Parsons, and Sharice Wright. A lot of good starters uh, in that group and established starters even, um, not just potential ones. So there's a lot of, you know, 11 guys out of that class of 2006, but nine of them no longer on the team. That's hard to ignore. So I don't think you could rank that as the best class, even though, They've had so many guys 
that have gone on to start. We'll have to see how the the following classes, 2007 and 2008, uh, pan out as far as starters and stuff go. Then uh, the class of 2005, the last one I looked at, there was 18 guys signed in that class. Only two uh, are not on the team or you know uh, stopped being on the team. Michael Coleman, who was the uh, running back that kind of compared himself to Lindell White, and uh, Troy Van Blarkham, who was the uh, big-legged kicker that just didn't make it academic-wise. But out of that 2005 group, uh, 13 guys ended up as starters. So Charles Brown, Cushing, Brian Cushing, Kevin Ellison, Kerry Harris, Will Harris, Nick Howell, Kaluka Mayava, Mozik McCurtis, I believe he started a little bit. I have to go back and look, but he got a lot, a lot of playing time. Kyle Moore, Mark Sanchez, of course, he went on the number five pick in the country, I mean, in the NFL draft. Averill Spicer, Kevin Thomas, and Patrick Turner. So really good group. Uh, I mean, a lot of starters there, a lot of uh, talent, and not that many guys are not on the team. So I, I think if you got to look back, Mark, to me, the best bang for your buck came out of the class of 2005 with, you know, 18 guys, you know, 16 of them stayed on the team and 13 of them ended up, you know, in some kind of starting capacity. So there's a lot of, a lot of good guys in that group. Um, if that's not what you wanted, Mark, just drop us an email and we can try to answer it a little bit better, but hopefully that helps. And of course, over the next year or two, you'll, you'll find out what happens from the class of 2007, 2008, how many more starters emerge from that group and if any other guys end up leaving the team all right this uh, next question is from robert he is from honduras and listens every week we love those international questions um you want to talk about some linebacker prospects which three linebacker prospects does usc have the best chance of getting and he lists off three different guys i'll go through each of them anthony barr jordan hicks or jeff luke um, so just real quick, Jeff Luke is the, the super stud out of that group. He's a five-star linebacker. He went to he goes to Treasure Coast High School in Florida, 6'1", 230 pounds, offers from all over the place. He's a Rivals 100 guy, obviously, you know, in the top 17 or 18 players in the country with the, four, with the five-star rating. Uh, Anthony Barr is a local kid, Loyola High School, four-star linebacker, also a Rivals 100, 6'4", 230, a little bit bigger. Uh, a little taller, at least. He's uh, got tons of offers. He actually had 20 rushing touchdowns playing uh, running back back in 2008, last year. And then uh, Jordan Hicks, another out-of-state guy from Ohio, four-star linebacker, six foot two, 220 pounds, 23 tackles for loss over the last couple of seasons, offers from all over the place. Uh, and you would think, you know, just hearing where they're from, that you'd think Anthony Barr would have a would be the better shot to go to USC just because he's a local kid. But actually, USC looks like they have a better shot at, uh, at Jordan Hicks and Jeff Luke than they do Barr right now. And, you know, they're going to definitely recruit some linebackers. There's none uh, committed at this point. And, uh, you know, Jeff Luke, we're going to talk about him a little bit later on and one of the final questions. But, you know, he's the jewel of the class. He's this five-star linebacker, complete stud. USC's got guys like Keith Rivers, stud linebackers out of Florida before. So we'll have to see. Pete Carroll can pull something off there and bring him in. I think it'd be a, an excellent addition to this linebacker core. Um, Richard Ash, uh, this question is about Richard Ash. His, uh, he has a MySpace page, and a lot of the prospects do have MySpace or Facebook pages and stuff like that. You know, the big in the social networking, it's, it's pretty big in the high schools. Um, he has a MySpace, MySpace page that says he is USC bound. Does that mean anything? That question is from 
Martin. And uh, Richard Ash does have USC listed as number one school. He's not a commit. He's not even like a silent commit that, that we know of. Uh, but remember, it's September. There's a long way to go. And when you're talking about a kid that's that far from home, I mean, they change their minds fairly quickly. Uh, he's a four-star. Richard Ash is a four-star defensive tackle. Uh, he's out of Florida as well, 6'4", 263. The thing is, he really loves Jethro Franklin, and Jethro's come in in the short time he's been at USC, done a great job recruiting. Uh, he's been excited. He got really excited by that USC offer, and, and instantly that made USC his top school. He still will probably come out sometime this summer and, and check out stuff at USC. So we'll have to. it'll be interesting to follow his recruit. But right now, Martin, he does have USC number one. I don't know if he's, uh, you know, the fact that it says USC bound on his MySpace page, I think he was just more excited about the offer and stuff that he got than uh, than anything else. All right. Uh, Kevin had kind of a three-part question. Hopefully we'll be able to get to all of that here. Let's see. Uh, with the recent commitment of safety Dion Bailey, he's a kid out of Lakewood uh, High School, uh, the, also the high school where Jesse Scroggins, who's going to make his announcement uh, Wednesday, tonight, it will be tonight, um, he's going to make his announcement, and it's looking really good for USC at this point. But with his commitment, it seems like USC will take only one more commitment at the safety position if it even gets one. Some safeties USC has offered are Sean Parker, Sean Parker, Tony Richardson, Dietrich Riley, Marcus Flowers. Uh, if USC gets some more commitments out of the players after the players offered, can they move any of them to cornerback? And do you think USC will get one or two, one or two more safety commitments and which players do you think they would be? So, okay. So there's a lot there. Um, the, the safeties he talked about, Sean Parker's a four star rivals, 100 safety out of Narbonne high school, same high school as Byron Moore, five ten, hundred and eighty five pounds. Uh, the thing right now, and he does have a USC offer. It looks like he's, pro, you know, he, he'd be leaning towards leaving the state of California. Not for sure, but he's definitely open to that. Uh, so that might be a little bit of a challenge to try and keep him in state and get him out there. I got to see him at a passing tournament at uh, Sarah High School uh, on Monday night, and I filmed him quite a bit. He struggled. I mean, he played receiver and safety. Not a lot of balls went his way, so there wasn't much he could do from the safety position. I think he batted one or two balls down. But he was also playing receiver, and I liked the way he played last year when I got to see him in some of his high school games. But, uh, yeah, he struggled. Like Two of the passes that were intended for him weren't great passes, but they end up getting picked off on plays he could have batted the balls down. And he seemed a little disinterested. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, he's a great athlete. He's a great player. Uh, you know, I think USC is still high, and we'll have to see kind of what happens there. Tony Jefferson's a four-star safety, a Rivals 100 guy out of Eastlake High School, six feet, 196 pounds. He had just committed to UCLA, and he was actually a USC lean. Uh, people thought, you know, USC was in the lead, and it looked like he could even have been like a silent commitment sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, he uh, came to the Rising Stars camp. He wasn't really working with the first group, and I think he got a little upset there, and he wasn't getting the love from the coaches at the Rising Stars camp that he felt he deserved. And uh, he kind of got turned off by USC and, and boom, you know, the, the biggest slap in the face you could get to Pete Carroll, I'm going to go commit to UCLA. So he did that. So he's most likely off the board there. Dietrich Riley is a four-star safety. He's out of, uh, lives in La Cunada, 6'1", 200 pounds. He's got a ton of offers as well. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that he's around USC a lot. A lot of people think he's just eventually going to commit to USC, but he hasn't done so yet, but I think he's got USC as an excellent shot at him. And Marcus Flowers is a four-star safety, a rivals 100 guy out of Goodyear, Arizona, 
195 pounds. Another big offer list. A lot of them have come kind of late. And USC offered him in May. He got really excited, and he came on late as a national recruit. And uh, you know, he's explosive with the ball. He's, he scores rushing touchdowns. Uh, he catches touchdowns, and obviously he's a he's a great safety. So he'll it'll be interesting to see. But he was really excited about that USC offer, and he's one of those guys that kind of came on late. And uh, he's, I'm sure he'll get even more offers as the season wears on. And uh, Malcolm Jones, uh, oh, I'm sorry about that. Okay, so that was the the safety stuff. Um, yeah, so it looks like USC will take at least two more safeties uh, out of that group, and maybe even three, seeing that they're going to lose three safeties in 2010. So you're going to lose guys, you know, Will Harris, Taylor May, stuff like that. So those and Josh Pinkard, those guys are gone. So they're going to have to replenish the safety position. So I don't think there's going to be too many limits on what they're going to take there. Uh, the second part was, what about Malcolm Jones and Anthony Barr at linebacker? And we already talked about Anthony Barr, but Malcolm Jones is a four-star athlete, Rivals 100 guy out of Oaks Christian where they got all those superstars, you know, um, Nick Montana, Joe Montana's son, um, Wayne Gretzky's son, Will Smith's son. They all play on that team. So 6'1", 210 pounds. Um, USC is really recruiting him as a fullback, but he has a top three of Stanford, Cal, and UCLA right now. Academics are a big thing to him. He doesn't seem to want to join his brother, Marshall, at USC. I mean, it's, it's still possible, but it's it's looking like right now his top three, Stanford, Cal, and UCLA. And, uh, I, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if USC is just not that high on him as a linebacker, but they really kind of focused on him playing fullback. So we'll have to see what goes on there. And then the last, uh, the last part, how many scholarships, this is from Kevin, will USC have for this recruiting class? You know, I'm expecting USC to go out and sign about the same 19 or 20 again. It seems to be that what that's been what works the best uh, for Pete Carroll. He likes to be choosy, be picky with those offers, and 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 so and it, it's worked out really well. The one year he signed a lot more kids, a bunch of them ended up leaving. So I, I expect them to come out and sign 19 guys, 18 guys, 20 guys, something in that range. All right, so that those were from Kevin, and the last one is from Justin. Uh, will someone get number 55 or will, or will it be used for a recruiting tool later? And uh, if you're not familiar, number 55 is the, the famous number USC linebackers wear. You know, Keith Rivers was the last one to wear it. But, you know, Willie McGinnis and, and Junior Seau, a bunch of guys at USC wore number 55. And you got some great linebackers coming in in this class of 2009 we've seen on campus. But the numbers that they have announced, at least for now, None of those guys are wearing number 55. Jarvis Jones chose uh, number 10, which uh, Brian Cushing let go uh, when he left. Frankie Telfort, uh, number 43. That's the one um, uh, Kaluka Maiava wore. Uh, Marcus Simmons is wearing number 53. And Kevin Green wearing number 81. So, uh, you know, Kevin Green, I'm not sure. I mean, it looks like he'll play some linebacker, but he could play some defensive end too. We'll have to see what goes on there. Uh, so none of those guys are wearing number 55. Um, so it looks like they can use it as a recruiting tool. And what we mentioned in the first part, the first question, Jeff Luke, that could be, you know, maybe that's one of the things they use to try and get Jeff Luke out of Florida. Is get, you know, they, Keith Rivers came out of Florida. They gave him number 55. Maybe they say the same thing to Jeff Luke. Hey, man, you come to USC, you can follow in Keith Rivers' footsteps. You know, he was a top 10 pick. And uh, you can wear number 55. So, All right, so those are the questions we had this week on the podcast for recruiting. Hopefully, 
did a good enough job answering um, as Gerard does. I mean, Gerard obviously knows so much stuff about recruiting, and we, we lean on him heavily here at uscfootball.com. And I uh, appreciate him helping out. I'm sure he'll be on next week to answer more of your questions. Again, podcast at uscfootball.com if you have any more questions. And don't forget, next Wednesday, July 29th, we will be at the National Sports Grill in Torrance. It's on Sepulveda Boulevard. And if you have any questions about it, just email me, ryan at uscfootball.com. Try to RSVP if you can. We want to get some ideas for the number of numbers. And it's $20 at the door. Or if you want to pay in advance, you can PayPal me or send a check. And it'll be $15 if you pay in advance. We'll have Yogi Roth, the former USC assistant quarterback coach. He's going to talk all about the USC quarterbacks, what he saw, what he thinks of the different guys. Um, He'll also talk about the Elite 11. He's been following the Elite 11 all over the country. And Jesse Scroggins, the USC recruit, is in that group. We'll see what he thinks about them, about him and all the other guys, all the different quarterbacks, where Scroggins would rate and where some of those guys would rate compared to a guy like Matt Barkley, who was in that quarterback camp uh, last year. We'll also have Bruce Feldman from ESPN joining us. And of course, the USAFootball.com staff. We'll have Emily and Michelle who do all our video interviews out there. Uh, Brian Fisher will help us out. He's done a lot of quarterback talk himself. He's helped us out with some recruiting things as well. Gerard Martinez will answer your recruiting questions. Dan Weike will be out there with myself answering questions about the team. I will MC the whole event, but I can answer some of your team questions as well since I've been to every one of their summer workouts and, and watch them all progress this summer. And, and Dan has been out there as well. So we'll answer all of your questions, give you a lot of good USC information. We'll have raffles. We'll have an autographed USC football to give away and some T-shirts and some mini footballs and stuff. I think Bruce Feldman's going to bring a copy of his book, Meat Market. We'll raffle that off as well. So lots of good stuff. Only 20 bucks and you get dinner and you can chat with USC fans and you know, meet some different USC people, talk about tailgating, whatever you want to do. So hopefully you can join us. That's July 29th at the National Sports Grill in Torrance. And again, if you have any questions, you can email me, ryan at uscfootball.com or podcast at uscfootball.com. Either one, they will both go to me. But I wanted to thank Coach Harvey Hyde for joining us. We didn't have any other guests, so we just uh, went solo. Hope you enjoyed that. We'll be back next week talking more USC football. We'll see you then. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 